podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Due to the coronavirus lockdown, the CIM podcast is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hi everybody and welcome to the latest CIM podcast. We are back in our virtual studio again due to the lockdown. Um, and today we're going to be talking about stories and storytelling in marketing. And we are joined by two very special guests. We've got Mr. Anthony Tazgill, also known, widely known as Taz and referred to only as Taz in my experience, who is a CIM course director for topics ranging from brand storytelling to behavioural economics. And we also have a fantastic guest today from the agency world, which is Daniel Andrews. Daniel is CEO and founder of Tree Agency. Gentlemen, welcome, welcome to you today. Hi, Ben. Hello, Daniel. Hi, nice. Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And, you know, storytelling seems to have been particularly interesting and important over the last six months. Uh, Taz, what brand storytelling uh, in the sector have you been particularly impressed with, you know, the last half a year or so? And dare I say, it, have there been any major flops? Yeah, I think it's been an interesting time, clearly, for brands. Uh, you know, interesting is in the, as in the curse, where you live in interesting times. And I think some brands have really understood that what you need to do in this situation, above all, I think, which is the heart of storytelling, which is to create empathy. And, and I think a number of brands have, have done that spectacularly well or have continued to do that through the last six months. And that, as you say, there are one or two that haven't. I've been, I've been particularly impressed with a small brand called Timpsons, which certainly you know, the British uh, listeners will understand. Um, they have been very, very good and very, very honest and very true to their sort of founders' beliefs. They are very sort of pure and simple and they, they talk at a very individual level. So, for example, they put up a poster recently when some of the kids were going back to school that said, if you find our shops a bit short-staffed this week, I'm sorry. We have a colleague benefit where you get an extra day off when your kids have their first day at school. So a number of our colleagues are doing a very special job away from their shops. Now, you, I'm not saying that's the most elegant, you know, Robert McKee story. But the point is, it creates a sort of understanding and empathy. It's not all about selling. It's not all about look how great we are. It's not all about the big I or the big us. And I think uh, Timpsons has been one of those brands. Um, and I think Selfridges is another, the other end, which has continued its sort of sense of just understanding what really people want from shopping. They've, they've continued the, the sense of theatre and drama and humanity in their stores. Mm. I think also if you look at what Selfridges have even done just now, they've been very sort of interested in looking at new ideas on trend. They've been talking about sustainability, rental clothing. And even I think yesterday, this, this sort of very day, sort of early September, um, they've actually opened an Oxfam store. Which, which is all part of the Selfridge story. It's all about evolving. It's all about understanding sort of not just sort of human needs and emotions, but actually how these things change over time. So that's just sort of two uh, off the top of my head that I think have done it especially well. Daniel Andrews, they are two big storytelling campaigns from the retail sector, which has been the sector which has struggled in the recent six months. Is there anything particular in that sector or elsewhere that's impressed you? I think it was really interesting to hear Taz's comment about Selfridges and the evolution of their brand being tr true to their cause and true to, to their sort of history. And 
that is so synonymous with storytelling and what um, what we try to do with brands, both in a digital way and, and, and across all of their marketing is really tap into that core DNA of the business. You know, not anymore do we talk about businesses USP or try and ram product down people's throats. We need to talk about their culture. Consumers are interested to know in their um, carbon footprint. They want to understand how ethical they are. They need to understand the communications and the values that they have as an organization. And you can really only do that through storytelling. And, and more so than ever now where um, there is this need for solidarity and, uh, and Taz was talking about empathy. Brands have to be able to communicate in a way that is trusted and authentic. Um, and there are so many different nuances and, and, and um, campaigns on at the moment about what you should and shouldn't be doing, but actually brands need to find the right to play them. Um, and so some of the thing is uh, that we saw was during the break, you know, Cadbury's, for example, jumping on the back of the Black Lives uh, Matter movement, and right. diversity in and around uh, Indian Independence Day. Was that misjudged? There was so much backlash for that. You've got brands like Gillette just before the lockdown period starting to talk about um, toxic masculinity. And yeah. again, this didn't feel true to their their sort of brand heritage and their brand ethos. And that was where they had some backlash as a result. There seemed to be a lot of, in terms of flops or backlashes, there seemed to be a lot of brands trying to tell exactly the same story at the start of the lockdown. You know, the plinky plonky music, uh, the sort of a somber tone, uh, all trying to try, trying to tell the same story about uh, we're miserable and we should be miserable, but we're not going to be miserable forever and we're here for you, which didn't really relate to the brands themselves. They seem to me to be flops, a series of flops, Taz. Yeah, actually, I thought we were going to launch into the Smiths songs there for a moment. <laughs> um, yes, I, I think you're right. Now, I think one of the things that I talk a lot about is... Um, I have a, a sort of polarity I use between messaging and massaging. And I think, again, just to follow up Daniel's point, really, that, that too many brands are obsessed with messaging and telling people stuff. You know, I, it's very transactional, very parent-child. And again, I think governments have learned now not to do this. If you tell people what to do, behavioural economics is if you tell people what to do, by and large, people ignore you. So messaging is very, is very much, you know, I've got facts and I'm going to use them. Massaging takes this the sense of behavioural economics as what you're trying to do is encourage people to feel good about the choices they make, to make them feel good that the decisions they make they, they make are the right ones and also will make them feel good about themselves. And again, I think that's been one of the sort of difficult tightropes for a lot of brands to walk. And you're right, at the beginning, everyone was saying, you know, we're all in this together. It's And, and I, I think I'd be quite forgiving, maybe more than you, Ben, actually, at the beginning, because I think it was such uncharted territory for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Brands, companies, human. I think no one really, you know, for a century, we've not had anything like this. And I think what's interesting, the most recent example, and I don't know whether it's good or bad, or just, again, as Daniel said, the nuance wasn't quite right, was the beginning of this attempt to get people back to work, Dettol. Yes. Right? I, 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 messaging, wasn't it, I suppose? <laughs> it was really funny, wasn't it? And it was a, I, I suspect they were quite stunned by how much feedback they got. And also the, his, the hostility of it. It was, it was very negative. And again, I, I'm slightly more sympathetic to what they were trying to do. Because I think they were trying to build into that sense of we're getting back to work, it's good, we need to sort of remind ourselves. Um, and my, one of my books, Inspiratoria, the second one, is all about insight and, and inspiration. And that's what we're missing from not being in offices. We're missing, as the ad said, 
the, the bumping into people, the talking to people about what you watched last night, the sort of conversations that end up going somewhere that you don't expect them to, which is how we, we create insight. And I think people were very hard on Dettol. Um, and I, I think what they got was they just got that nuance right. It just felt they were trying a bit too hard. And I think getting that right is something that it requires immense sort of subtlety um, in this sort of current situation. Absolutely. You speak about insight there. And I think that um, there are so many tools at our disposal now with relation to social listening and to consumer insight and, you know, even social ethnography and all these sorts of things. But it, but it doesn't necessarily just translate into storytelling. And I think brands sometimes hear stuff on on um, on social, listen to the bandwagon, understand what the movement may be and think that they have a right to play there. But as you say, it's just trying a bit too hard sometimes and it's taking those more subtle steps to say, actually, how can we be part of that conversation rather than dominate it? And I think that that's sometimes where, where there is a challenge with these sorts of storytelling campaigns. I was going to say, there's one other brand or actually in this case person I just thought we might be thrown to the mix um I I'm now going to alienate half your audience I'm a Man United fan so let's just, <laughs> just you'll alienate about 90 percent of our audience okay so. maybe that way um but the serious point is Marcus Rashford oh I mean, yeah he's had, I don't want to say he's had a good pandemic but he's been exceptional he, he shamed the government into various actions yeah. um he's set up all sorts of initiatives child poverty and he's done it in a way which has just been I think quite subtle and quite real he hasn't used his celebrity you know too explicitly um and I think if you like using some of the storytelling that he's done just just looking at, at children and looking at, at their needs and looking at how society is failing I think he's he's tapped into that without again without sort of the apparatus of you know being a brand or you know talking in the way that sort of you know lots of media organizations do he's just done it in a very sort of simple humble way and i think it's been all the more effective for that a lot of the stuff that rashford did dan was through a very a very, a very small scale twitter campaign just comments that he made uh, and that's perhaps something that a lot of marketers and cim members can relate to because you know not all of us are there doing big budget huge budget tv campaigns where they're trying to tell stories through the tools at our laptop, which are digital tools like Twitter and Instagram and other social media. How do we introduce that sort of storytelling, those storytelling principles into our day-to-day -day marketing activity? Yeah, well, I think it's an interesting point. Um, and it's not, you know, big budgets, big budget campaigns don't have to be storytelling. We've spoken about big above the line campaigns where you've got brands like Dettol, Gillette, trying to do big movements and, and, and talk about things in a mass scale. But actually, storytelling is a part of your everyday uh, interactions with a customer. It's the way that a uh, customer service representative speaks on a phone or through a chat line. It's the way that um, uh, a restaurant serves a customer when they come in. It's every single touch point and proof point that a brand has, including social posts. So as you're talking about Twitter um, and, and Facebook and Instagram, it's all little bits of personality as your brand being played out. And yes, for, for, for Rashford, it was a slightly different platform because he has a large platform to start with. Yes. Uh, meant that that could then scale but for smaller brands I mean I, I just saw some stuff from Oatly the other day and this isn't big cause related stuff but Oatly are just being very human about their placement of their product being a little bit cheeky um, there was a post the other day which had a spilt uh, Oatly ice cream 
carton on the floor on some carpet and the, the copywriting was brilliant it was like oops i'm sorry this isn't our most flattering position but you'll still forgive us for who we are and all this sort of stuff and that that to me is exciting it's human it's relevant it's it's just that regular drumbeat of interaction with customers that isn't big scale that isn't highly expensive and doesn't need big budgets to push it out it's just about consistency and consistency internally and externally and that's the most important thing i think there's a realism story there, isn't there, Taz? Is that there's, there's something about realism that actually not all everything about our product is glamorous. Sometimes it does end up on the floor. I mean, that's a very that that that, that, you know, that is a very prosaic example. But nevertheless, you know, how do you go about balancing that realism, that authenticity, with a bit of optimism? Um, I'd like a little bit of a rant actually here now, if you can just allow me. Go ahead. Uh, we love rants on the CIM podcast. Yeah. In, in the training that I do, the, the storytelling days I do, and, and in the book and everything else, one of the things that I think that our industry has really got wrong over the last forever um, is it's obsessed with content. Now, I'm going to be slightly harsh now. I'm going to, I know this may, again, offend some listeners, but um, content for me is just stuff. I think actually, if you, you know, content is just stuff with better PR. So if you think about your content, there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. Calling it content doesn't necessarily make it, you know, great or attractive or emotionally appealing or whatever. And my, my argument is I think we spent way too much time worrying about content and not enough time worrying about form. Mm-hmm. Too much emphasis on what we say and not enough on how we say it. So, again, when I do storytelling exercises, one of the exercises if you do is about character and personality. You can't have stories without characters and personality. You have characters, you have conflict, you have quests. So for me, I think one of the, the things that, that is a thread, and I'll come back to the word thread again, that's running through all this is the importance of brand personality, which sometimes when I work with clients, they think, well, it's just something we lather over, you know, our message. It's not. It's absolutely core. Cool. And in terms of Timpsons, in terms of Oatly, in terms of Rashford, a lot of what they are doing so successfully is the tone of voice, the personality and the character. And I think that's, you know, incredibly important. Another ad that we can always we can always bring in Apple. I know, but they did an ad recently. Creativity goes on, and it was it was another beautiful Apple masterpiece. You know, the tone was just right. It wasn't morbid. It was still about people being creative, even in these times. How they can use Apple products and the Apple stuff is all there. You know, it's very clear that it's for Apple, but it's it's done in a way that is understated, that feels absolutely right, both for the brand and also for the times. And often when I, I work with clients, they are so obsessed with the message, what we need to say, the proposition, the benefit, that they don't spend enough time thinking about how they're going to deliver it. That's a pitfall, isn't it? That's a big pitfall, Dan, that, you know, we, we focus too much on the story and not enough on the storytelling. Yeah, or, or the substance. And I think uh, equally... You know, I work for an agency that specializes in social and we work with big brands on a global scale on social, but too much, you know, attention is paid to the channel and the digital and the, and the, and the, the, the shiny stuff, which is how exciting the digital campaign is, how exciting the social is. But what does boil down to the core is this real strategic thinking of who are you, what's your substance and how are you going to connect with your audience and who are your audience? And I think, you know, I completely agree, Taz, that the brands that are doing it very well just take a step back and they really understand the nuance and they understand their personality and they understand their right to play and everything else should follow on from that. So the channel can then 
help provide the platform and the technology can help ignite that story but you've got to really understand the thread and understand all the nuances and every single touch point that you have with that customer has to be consistent and has to be well thought through whether it's a tweet a video an interactive all those sorts of things don't really matter as long as you can get that 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 core story right about you know what you believe in and, and what your your proposition is to the customer as it were yeah I, I, again i'm going to violently agree um with Daniel, because I think often clients are obsessed with social media. And I, again, I'm going to take a point of view on this. Um, and again, my point of view is that sometimes people are so in awe and so beloved of Twitter or Instagram that they're so obsessed with the channel, again, that they forget, you know, that channels work differently, media work differently, context works differently. And I, and I often say, look, you know, all these these different media, different channels, they're just the campfire. And for tens and thousands of thousands of years, human beings have been telling each other stories. So again, you know, in the book and training, I'll talk about how, you know, it is our, our default software. You know, we don't communicate, despite what some people think, in PowerPoint, you know, or bullet points or propositions. I know there are some people that, that believe, you know, that actually if you go into the deepest Amazon jungle, you'll find a tribe that doesn't know PowerPoint. <laughs> um, and for me, I just say it's about the campfire. So, you know, 150 years ago, we'd be thousands of years ago, we were sitting around a campfire sharing stories about where the buffalo are, when it's going to rain or who's doing what to whom in the tribe. And that's what Twitter is. You know, Twitter is just another way of us sharing those sorts of stories and sharing gossip. Again, I, one of the words I use an awful lot, and I know it's got a bit of a, you know, slightly dodgy reputation, but story is basically about enabling gossip about allowing us to talk about big things and little things and again that's what social media is it's it's very often not just big things but small things so I, again i think that's something that the clients perhaps don't understand quite fully is how to use that sense of universal storytelling that we are just um used to and i think you touched on a point there about um this gossip or this two-way dialogue and that that is ultimately what social enables whereas more traditional communications platforms didn't and that's why storytelling is probably scaling and growing as, as a subject matter it's always been around as you say but it's it's now a popular phrase that we need to kind of tap into all of our comms but that's because we've got this kind of two-way relationship with with our customer which we've never had before and we can use social to interact and we get instant feedback which is either terrifying or fantastic um and and that's what's really been exciting about some of the channels we've got but ultimately what it boils down to is you know getting that getting that core story right in the first place because then hopefully you have more positive sentiment than, than negative there's one other thing as well that which is about things going wrong or yeah. there's again uh, just in my other my other interest in behavioral economics which is all about the power of emotion and why again with storytelling storytelling is basically empowering emotions and embedding emotions but there's something in, in behavioral economics it's called the pratfall effect and it's well observed from psychological truth that actually if you fall over and spill coffee and then give a talk people are more likely to sympathize and like your talk than if you haven't spilled the coffee but I think brands have learned that that being honest, if you've made a mistake or you do something wrong where you're not perfect, say it. Because yeah. again, there's a tendency for brands to be, you know, I think we're all powerful. You know, we are omnipotent. We are the brand that does and knows everything. And that's not humans. Humans to err is humans, as someone once said. So actually acknowledging your faults, acknowledging your failures and being honest about it and saying, you know, we've done wrong, but we're making things better. That's absolutely, I think, one of the things that, that brands should actually consider. They don't have to get their way to 
to make mistakes. But it's much better to do that than to try and aim for this sort of sense of perfection. That's been a shift, though, hasn't it, Daniel? Because the, there was this sort of mantra, you never apologise, never explain. You know, keep your... By, by, by letting in any water, by letting in, admitting any error, you're suddenly sullying your own brand, you're demolishing your own brand. And that has been a genuine shift. People have realised that in the world of storytelling, with 24-hour media, you simply cannot behave in that way anymore. No, and I think you're, you're, it's interesting. Some of the some of the best brands, uh, I mean, some of the, the brands that have had to shift the most are, are corporate brands that are, you know, big dynasties of 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 brand development, etc. And and the ones that are doing it really well are humanising themselves and almost breaking down the boundary of we've got this brick wall that says our logo on it, and we're actually humans behind it. And they're getting human spokespeople to come out and be. Um, be, be themselves they're adding some more personality to it they're being more honest and it goes back to the um, Taz's coffee analogy etc you know it, humans buy from humans they don't want to buy from brands anymore and they don't want to interact with a cold faceless organization and the more realistic we can seem and authentic we can seem the better and the best way to do that is through individuals and social is a, an individual platform um, it wasn't really built for brands. It was built for human interaction. So having that honest truth and having spokespeople and thought leaders and, you know, re real brand ambassadors talking on your behalf is much more beneficial. And that gives it the, the sort of right to be more honest because you're not hiding behind this brand wall anymore. You've got, you know, the, the, the whites of people's eyes that you're looking at and they are humans and they do make mistakes and they're, you know, they're not perfect. The zenith of the polished brand ads used to be the Christmas period and it's now I think a festival of brand storytelling with lockdown easing and the Christmas campaigns and uh, advertising marketing period soon upon us dare I say it do you expect um, uh, to see more or less of this brand storytelling? I I tend to I, I, I agree with the, the American baseball coach um, Yogi Berra who said it's very hard to make predictions especially about the future so I'm I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen. I think partly there may be some brands that aren't going to do big brand storytelling things this Christmas just because of budgets, yeah. also because we don't know what's going to happen to the mood of you know the nation of the world with you know second waves. So because a lot of Christmas brands or storytelling, particularly in the UK, it's been John Lewis who has owned that for the last you know several years. Um, it may be that the brands in question just feel that it isn't tonally right. On the other hand, they might think, yeah, we all need a bit of cheering up. So it might be that actually they do go back to, to, to storytelling. And I think John Lewis, as I said, has, has been, you know, the example par excellence of taking an understanding of what used to be a very dry sort of commoditized retail outlet, which was, I remember, basically for haberdashery. Um, yes. um, and then suddenly owning this whole sense of, of sort of joy and, and community and very upbeat and uplifting and, and quite emotional and quite sad and deliberately sort of tear jerky. So I suspect um, the reason why I'm hedging my bets is, as I say, I think that, you know, the global environment, how we, you know, the COVID situation, it's going to affect an awful lot of that. But I think it, it would be nice, I think, if around, you know, that time there is still the family communal sense of, of coming together, watching, you know, some good brand storytelling on TV. Daniel, are you going to put your chips on red or black? 
I, I think it's a, it's a, a very tread carefully uh, position for most brands, to be honest. I think um, we do, we, we need positivity. We need positive messaging. Are brands necessarily the people to bring us out the doldrums of COVID or do they just have the right to be there and to be participant in that conversation? That's a, that's a difficult one. I don't know the answer to, but I think that, um, you know, as Taz said, yes, it would be lovely and it is important that we spread the message of joy and positivity. Um, but I, I would implore brands to tread carefully about how they do that or how they try and commercialize that positive sentiment at the moment when there's going to be a lot of people in a lot of financial difficulties and 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 a lot of strife and do we overtly try and commercialize them to spend loads of money on products during this period when actually um we need a little bit more solidarity so it is a very difficult one we've got a few briefs on at the moment for different brands that we're working to and it's really um a fine balancing act of you know how we position that and and how we connect those brands with the communities that they operate more than anything. It is a massive challenge, actually, isn't it? Thinking about it, Taz, this Christmas, because to get that, to strike that balance, to get it right. You know, we talked about John Lewis. John Lewis has closed down yep. lots of stores. It has to be very careful the way it portrays itself. That would be the same for Marks and Spencer, yes. making 7,000 redundancies and so on and so forth. I don't want to be too miserableist about it, but it's going to be a very, very big challenge for the sector. Yes, because I think, again, from behavioural economics, we know that lots of communication brands, what they're effectively doing is signalling. They're not just sending messages, they're signalling. So if you're spending a fair amount of money on a big TV campaign, you're giving a signal to consumers that you are a strong, reliable um, brand. Um, it, that may be, as we've all been saying, that may be subject to review, given what's going on. Um, you know, with with redundancies and, and the general nature of, of certain sectors. Funnily enough, though, I, I, I was thinking about one brand I've, I've, I'm, in my uh, the new book, Incitations, which is a collection of anecdotes and stories uh, about expressions and words. Um, one of the uh, stories I wrote about was Galaxy. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to work. I spent many, many years working in confectionery, uh, many years in Bourneville, uh, working at Cadbury, and uh, before that at Terry. So I'm steeped in chocolate, literally. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am 80% chocolate. Um, and I remember looking at a campaign that Galaxy did a few years ago, and I've written, as I say, written this up as a, as a story in the book, um, because they had one, I consider one of the greatest slogans of all time, and possibly one, one of the most underestimated, um, which was, why have cotton when you can have silk? Mm. And I remember working as a humble account planner in an ad agency in London, and thinking, wow, that is such a beautiful, elegant, and actually very true line. Because again, one of the things about storytelling is the idea of having heroes and villains and having conflict. But rather than saying, you know, Cadbury's chocolate is actually quite dull, it's quite ordinary, it's quite, and Galaxy is far better. And the Brits tend not to like that very explicit, you know, denigration. The fact is, everyone likes cotton, but there's something different about silk. Silk is slightly more sophisticated, more elegant. And I thought that was the most, one of the most beautiful ways of saying something that was about conflict and superiority, but without actually either making the other sort of brand look bad and also doing it in a tone of voice which had sort of almost like warmth and charm. So maybe at Christmas, it, if brands can do something which is about sort of warmth and charm, you know, and this is just a chocolate bar, maybe it's something that's a bit more smaller, a bit more personal, a bit more intimate. Maybe that's what Christmas brand storytelling should be more about. Are you willing to give us any inside secrets of your briefs, Daniel, about how you're going to strike that balance? <laughs> uh, no, but I, I can talk to you about um, 
uh, a project that we've done recently that's not necessarily connected to Christmas, but is very connected to this sort of time and place at the moment. So we're working with American Airlines who have historically been very transactional in their marketing, big above the line campaigns. Their website is purely transactional. Um, and in partnership with Inca, a, a media publisher, we've developed effectively a storytelling platform to help inspire and engage people around the subject matter of travel again. Now, they have to be very careful and tread carefully about travel during COVID. We, we are aware of that. But again, it's, it's this sort of subtle messaging of, look, the world's out there to explore. There are regional places that you can fly in the US because they were still flying around the US, etc. And it's about giving people that, that kind of human message. We used influencers to write a lot of the content. Um, it was about local takes on things. And again, it was a bit more of a personalised message rather than this blanket. We need to be out there and everyone needs to be flying. But here's some subtle things about what you can do in the future. And here's and here's why we've got the right to talk about it, because we are a, a travel brand. And that that to me was a bit more subtle than, um, you know, slapping fares down people's throats or ramming offers at people. It was like, you know, it was talking to them saying, look, we know you want to travel. We're still here. We're just we're just going to excite you for when it's ready. Um, rather than, than the, the big sales propositions. And that sort of goes back to Taz's comms about, yeah, let's let's not put big TV offers on at Christmas, but look, let's be together. Let's 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 sit around a TV. Let's be a little bit more um, uh, family orientated and, and have those more subtle messaging run through things um, rather than the commercial prospect all the time, I think. Well, it'll certainly be fascinating to see who gets that tone right and who gets it wrong during the big Christmas uh, marketing period. We've got a great feature coming up in Catalyst magazine, which anyone who is a CIM member will receive, which is coming up in our next issue of Catalyst. So do keep your eye open for that. And before that arrives, I just want to say thank you again to our guests, Daniel Andrews and Anthony Taz Tazgal, for what's been a great show. Thank you, gentlemen, and hope to see you again on the CIM podcast very soon. Cheers, Ben. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can also join the conversation on Twitter at CIM underscore exchange, where we'll keep you updated about the latest episodes. See you next time. CIM Podcast.